0: Good afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Happy Monday. You know I love Mondays, and why not? It's going to be a great week here at Faith Radio, and I'm looking forward to the time that I get to spend with you, and I uh, hope you had a good weekend. And we're going to do uh, what we normally do on Mondays. We're going to get started with my friend and colleague uh, from the great state of Iowa, Patrick Albanese. And looking forward to that. And then um, Dr. John Woodward is going to be joining me. He's a pastor and counselor, and really, he's got one of the calmest, personalities I've ever heard. You're going to enjoy him a lot. And now we're two. We're going to talk about love with Bev Canaris. It's going to be a great, great show, I think. And Patrick has uh, been a regular guest for years and awfully glad to have him join me to get things started. I always want to start things with a little bit of a light touch because there's enough bad news out there. And I want to always uh, be reminded that we can't take ourselves too seriously. So uh, here to help me do that is my
1: friend Patrick Albanese. Patrick, welcome. Thank you for leaving the heavy lifting to others.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> and why not, huh? You know, I, I just want to point out, by the way, uh, so in, in the uh, music that started the show, uh, you have a, a piece of a Fleet, Fleetwood Mac tune Okay. Uh, from the album Rumors, mm-hmm. which you probably owned. Everybody I owned it. I did, yes. Did you know that that album, which was released in 1977, is currently... For the first half of the year 2020, the number five best-selling rock album. Oh, you're kidding.
0: I did not know that.
1: Wow. No. In fact, if you look at the top five albums, Queen's Greatest Hits from 81, uh, an Elton John album from 2017 that I never heard of, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Cl- Clean's Clearwater Revival's Chronicle from 76, Journey's Greatest Hits from 88. So four of the five top-selling rock albums of 2020 were made prior to 1981. That's
0: crazy. Now, I I have a feeling that my opening music has catapulted that album back into the spotlight. That'd just be my guess.
1: That is, I I was actually going to mention that that might be why, and if I were you, I'd be looking for a little royalty check.
0: Or or no lawsuits from them, so one or the other.
1: (laughs) There's fair use, isn't there? There's
0: definitely fair use, yeah. You sound like you're in a good mood today. I'm in a very good mood, and why not? You know, I was thinking of... The fact that baseball is going to be starting again in a couple of weeks, which I'm looking forward to. I think it's the July 25th. And, you know, every kid I drove by a Weber Park where I played baseball as a kid over the weekend and kind of looked at that field and thought, boy, there was a lot of fun times out there. You ride your bike down there as a kid. And I know your your experiences in baseball were not quite as memorable, were they?
1: Well, no, now. Well, they were memorable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, first off, I loved baseball. And uh, and I think, I don't know if I've told the story, but uh, the Chicago Cubs, I was I grew up in the Chicago area. They had a, a shortstop in the late 60s, early 70s named Don Kessinger. My dad was his accountant. Oh, cool. And they also had a uh, swing uh, player, Paul Popovich, who would play short and sometimes second base. And uh, one day, and so my dad was taking on Paul Popovich as a client, and one day... Don Kessinger and Paul Popovich came to my house and were in my backyard. We're playing jarts, which are illegal now. <laughs> <laughs> I know they are. <laughs> but you know, I mean, come on, you got to figure those guys got a pretty good aim. And my friends are gathered around and thinking, What is going on? <laughs> that should have carried me to something, don't it you should think? Have. Yes.
0: You should be I, a celebrity.
1: I, I, I loved baseball, and I think I told you a couple of weeks ago that in one summer in wiffle ball, I single-handedly broke Hank Aaron's lifetime home run record just in one summer. So uh, I thought, uh, gosh, when my mom said, "Would you like to do Little League?" <laughs> I was like, you know, you let them know who's coming. <laughs> <laughs> you let them know. You let them know who's coming. Remember, you let tell, them, turn who, your
0: phone off for these.
1: You know, it's the funniest thing. I did turn it off.
0: Okay, well, it just rang,
1: and it rang anyway. I know. How mm-hmm. about that? Right. Somebody wants to get a hold of me. So uh, I sign up for Little League, and I I I get the. Remember the? Remember the? I don't know if you remember the uniforms back then. They were very. They were like canvas, and uh, they were very heavy to wear. And, uh, and you thought to yourself, "Gosh, this isn't kind of that light, airy thing that the professionals wear." And then you realize that it's protective gear, <laughs> because when you have uh, and a 10 year old kid throwing a baseball at about 60 miles an hour, <laughs> another kid turns out they don't have very good control, very right. good aim. So right. I, I played, I, I did it one summer as much as I loved baseball and I loved baseball. I studied, I went to the library, got books on everything about baseball and I couldn't wait to play. I lasted one, one summer. It was a humbling experience. I mean, I got hit by the ball more times than I actually hit the ball. <laughs> something, something, I was just a target. I didn't even think it was until high school that the indentations from the stitching faded from my mid and upper back, you know, that marks? Oh, yeah. They just had those perpetual marks on my back. You know, if I went to the pool, people would say, what is that? i go, it's a baseball stitching. <laughs> uh, in fact, you know, most of the time when I got, by the time I got to first base, I was pretty much out of breath, not from running fast, but just because I'd had the wind knocked out. Of me. <laughs>
0: you poor kid. <laughs>
1: it, was, it was, and, and, and it, because of my size, I managed to get walked a lot. So I either got hit by the ball or I, I got walked a lot. I was kind of a small guy. Um, you know, I, I struck out a lot. Uh, not necessarily because I couldn't make contact with the ball, but mostly because I just wanted to get it over with as safely as possible. Your turn at bat? My Turn it bad. I think one time the umpire, you know, yells out strike one. I turned to him, I go, Are you sure you don't mean strike two? Because it's really hard to keep track. That might have been strike two. I'll go with strike three. If that works for you, I'll just go sit down right now. I haven't been hit yet. <laughs> it was, so, uh, I did uh, in the entire season, I played right field, and we all know what it means when you play right field. Yeah, uh, I was lucky enough to have a coach that insisted that every kid play every game. But it didn't necessarily mean that he had faith that you were any good. <laughs> so, you know, when he puts you in right field with a team of three other guys, <laughs> three guys covering right field is a pretty its pretty much a testament to I was not that great of a player. But uh, I, I did hit a couple of singles. And uh, I actually in one game, I hit a double. And uh, uh, if you ever got an extra base hit, it made the paper. Wow. Uh, mine was actually listed under oddities. So, <laughs> uh, but I was, I would say easily I ended up on base at least half the times I went to bat. I either walked, got hit, um, or I actually managed to hit a little dribbler and I was a, a pretty fast runner actually. Uh, and I almost every time I, if I got on base, I scored pretty much, I would make it around the bases and, uh, now I was a pretty fast runner getting to first, just uh, because that was, I was motivated. My motivation in getting around the bases was not speed, it was just survival. Because it turns out that the only kids with less ball control than the kids that are on the pitcher mound are the first and second basemen. <laughs> when they get you in a rundown, those guys they would just land another ball right next to the welt mark. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, I lasted the one season. I uh, We were a pretty terrible team. I think we won two games out of. A three hundred some odd game season is what it felt <laughs> like, and one of the two wins we really did only win two games, one of them was the game I hit the double, so i I took the credit for that particular win since they blamed me for all the other losses but uh what was really cool is we had the coach that insisted that every kid play in, in, in every game uh he didn't care about the one loss record, and uh we got to go out for ice cream after every game win, lose it didn't matter. You got ice cream, and you'd sit there in the ice cream parlor with your friends after a humiliating defeat. <laughs> you know? and this yeah. is before they had mercy rules. They just let the other kids run up the score. And if you've ever seen a comma in a baseball score, that was most likely one of the games I played. <laughs> it just—it took a week to finish those games. Those kids were amazing. Yeah. But uh, it was still worth it because the camaraderie of sitting around having ice cream, whether you won or lost, and having a coach that said, everybody played? You guys have fun today? Great see you next week
0: yeah yeah
1: that makes it uh makes it awfully memorable
0: that that you um uh, survived and you can tell the story today so that I appreciate that
1: still a bit bruised,
0: yeah, so you ventured back into the movie theaters this weekend
1: uh we did the so the local movie theater uh there's no no new releases out, but they're showing a bunch of they're showing ghostbusters and back to the future and some of the Batman movies and uh it's five dollars for adults, three dollars for kids. It's a dine-in theater as well, oh, wow. so they'll, they'll bring you food to the table, and there it's pretty good food. So, uh, you know, the kids have been cooped up since March, and we started to see, you know, a lot of uh, snippiness—not uh, <laughs> between them, mostly between us. <laughs> we have got to get them out of the house. Yeah. And uh, they were saying, we, you know, we don't want to go to a movie. We, do, we don't want to go to a movie. And, and and that was actually my fear is that they're starting to get so used to being home, they don't want to go anywhere now.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a concern.
1: It was. And so we said, well, you're we're taking you. You're going. And uh, we went and we had a wonderful oh, good. time. Good. There were only about eight people in the movie theater. Oh. Uh, we took them to the zoo today, uh, which just says, let's get out of the house. Let's just get out of the house. We have a, a, you know, one of these family memberships that grandma bought. So we can go anytime we want for free. And the change in their attitudes, getting them out of the house just for a one hour trip to the zoo. You know, I mean, we've been there enough times where they're on a first name basis with most of the animals. <laughs> uh, it's uh uh, I did find out this week that our school is going to allow parents to choose about, you know, having their kids come back. They can stay at home and learn or they can come in with mitigate mitigation strategies. Uh, and they polled the the parents uh, and the parents overwhelmingly said, I, I feel comfortable that you guys will do the right thing. We can bring our kids to the school. Yeah. I, think I sent you a video, too, of five top pediatricians being asked. This was on MSNBC. Yeah,
0: I think we'll play that when we come back from the break. Patrick Albanese is my guest. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. What would you do with a brain if
2: you had one?
0: Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, confirmin' with the flowers, and with the rain. And my head I'd be scratchin' while my thoughts were busy hatchin' if I only had a brain. I'd unravel
2: every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain.
0: With the thoughts you'd be thinking you could be another Lincoln if you only had a brain. Welcome back to the show. It's the walk-up music for Patrick Albanese. And I think we're going to dig up that clip. I don't know, Rebecca, did you find it or not? I think we did. I guess not. We're going to keep looking for it. But uh, yep. it's a great uh, clip of about five pediatricians, top doctors, saying, I don't know, I'd put my kids back in school in a heartbeat. And yeah. I think the host yeah. from M- MSNBC seemed a little bit confused by that idea.
1: It was so funny. His, his final thing was like, huh? The hell said yes. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's like, what were you expecting? You, you you called in the experts and they didn't give you the answer you wanted as the TV host. Uh, you know, it's I don't want to knock a you know, a TV host. Why, well, I've been there. I delivered the traffic for one whole year and uh, I... I think people made it to work on time, I'm not entirely certain.
0: Yeah, well you sent me something else too I thought was interesting and that was about the antibody test and having antibodies to the virus that causes COVID, you know, may provide protection from getting infected with the virus again. And yet a positive test shows that you have antibodies from an infection, that might, there could be a chance that this positive result means that you have antibodies from an infection from the coronavirus family. Could
1: have yes. been a common cold, and your it and your body produced antibodies, when, or or the previous covids, because you know that's they're not necessarily separating everything out. And um, I mean, you know, it's it's at a time when they you keep seeing this, you know, trust the experts, trust the experts. It's like I really want to, but the experts have me confused, and I would be okay with that if they would say, okay, here's the thing. When we told you this in March, this is what we were wrong about. Uh, you know, we've seen the, the the face mask controversy has gone all over the place. And then, yeah, there was a point where was, I think it was Dr. Fauci says, well, the reason why we told you that you didn't need to wear a face mask is we were trying to save them for the medical professionals. It's like, wait, 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 wait a second. Hang on. I do need to understand this just so I'm clear. You're saying that you didn't want me to use a face masks to buy them to keep so that the medical professionals would have them. So in other words, you put my life at risk if what you're saying now is true or is what you're saying now not true because I'm confused and I need clarity on these kind of things. And and that's that's kind of been, I would say, my biggest gripe is uh, you say, well, hang on a second. You know, you, you said that, I mean, back in February, I think you said, look, just give us 15 days to flatten the curve. That's it. We're just going to lock down for 15 days. Mm-hmm. And they're re-locking down in places. And I know there's arguments on all sides of the, uh, all over the spectrum on this, but it, it's, it's one of these where you say, well, you know, I need a little bit more advanced information because you said 15 days the last time and now we're four months into this. So how long do we need to wear masks? How long for this lockdown? I mean, give us an idea of what the goal is here. Do you think you can completely outrun the virus, eliminate the virus? I know you want to flatten the curve, not overwhelm the hospitals, but I I think that's why people are getting frustrated is it's like, well, you know, give us an idea when things end and please don't say the day after the election because that would be (laughs) (laughs) very So uh, like I was saying, my, you know, our school district, they we had to fill out surveys and uh, my, my wife and I and we had the kids sit down on a oof, one of the most dull Zoom meetings uh, where just about everybody that's anybody in our school district had a chance to talk. Uh, but, you know, they walked away from and said, well, we're going with this hybrid option that uh, if you are feeling comfortable with the mitigation strategies we're going to put in place – and you want to have your kids come to school and you're going to be bringing them here, uh, you can do that. So uh, we're kind of excited that we have options.
0: Yeah, no we kidding. Here. Yeah, and it's so important, I think, to get kids back to school. And it's, I think kids have already lost about six months of learning uh, this year, four months, so you don't want to stretch it into the next fall. They could be behind for a full year, and that's not good.
1: No, we had, uh, they were about three months, and the kids had only a couple of these Zoom meetings a week. And if I talk to them, they'll say, well, there's some kids who never showed up. Oh, wow. So you figure from mid March till the end of the school year, there were some kids that took that as the complete vacation. And I'm not going to, I'm not faulting the parents or the kids. It's hard. I mean, my kids were getting frustrated with it. There's like, what what is the point of this? Mm -hmm. Let's just do do the meeting. Let's, you know, see what, you know, we're doing reading today. Let's do the read along. Let's do some math. Let's do some science. A little bit is better than nothing. But uh, I could see their frustration and I could see them getting to the point where they said, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. Uh, And they miss their friends, of course. Of course they do.
0: uh, And parents, 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 you know, also need to get back to work and you know, school is not only the place where they go for education, but it's also a daycare.
1: Yeah, it's, well, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's so funny. I, I don't for mean a daycare. I mean, it's when you're in school, you're being cared for. You're being, well, yeah, it, well, you, you have a play. Yeah, you, we have a disrupted system now if we don't, if people don't know where their kids are going to be and you can't put them in daycare. Um, but it's so funny how I remember for years, I'm sure Rebecca can, can back me up on this please. But, but, you know, you've heard for people that wanted to homeschool. I know she knows a lot about homeschooling. Uh, one of the things they would say is they're going, well, those kids aren't getting any socialization whatsoever. And they're funny how they've dropped that. They don't say anything about that anymore. Yeah, They just go, kids don't need to be in the schools. So, um, I, I worry cause I, I, I definitely see the socialization as a huge part of it. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I didn't enjoy school very much, but I certainly enjoyed my friends. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So do you think uh, you and your family are starting to tune out some of the negative news that we're getting bombarded with every day?
1: We have to. Mm -hmm. It's become overwhelming and uh, it it disturbs me because there's a dilemma that comes with that. You say, gosh, I don't want to be one of these people who's not informed, but I, I can't visit social media anymore because it's just a bunch of name calling. Uh, as you know, you know, uh, one of the things I always say about Facebook is it allows you to, you know, reconnect with friends you haven't spoken to in years to replace the friends you aren't speaking to now. <laughs> and uh, uh, But people are starting to run out of those. They'll say, oh, look, I haven't spoken to Joe here in 32 years. And then they go to Joe's timeline and say, I can't be friends with him. <laughs> So, uh, you know, and I'm seeing things all over social media where people are saying, well, I disowned my son because, you know, he's a Trump voter or, or vice versa. I said, well, let's not do this to each other. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 we're feeding the wrong beast.
0: Mm-hmm. And of and, course, oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was just going to say, is it, is it, is it that horrible to go, a you know, a length of time, a day or two and, and take a break from all of this input And do you think you're going to really miss out on something and say, gosh, I'm so far behind, I am now completely ignorant of the world? I I don't don't think so. So.
0: I don't think so. And I always go to Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, that would be us, right? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Yeah, there is a good directive every day.
1: That, now, I sent you, I just recently sent you a little uh, anecdote. You did? Uh, and what it is, it? oh, well, I'll read it to you. Okay. It's sort of a paraphrase of what you just said. And okay. it's about a, a, gra- a grandfather talking to his grandson. And he says that there is a, always a battle between two wolves inside of us. One is anger, jealousy, greed, resentment, inferiority, lies, and ego. Now, you don't have to the get personal. One, no, no, I understand that. I mean, you know, it's if the shoe fits, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the other wolf is good. It's joy, peace, love, hope, humility, and truth. And the grandson says, well, which wolf wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: it's, it's so true. Philippians it, had it.
0: It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> Philippians is it. spot on. Yeah. Uh, and then Paul goes on to say in verse nine, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, and this is the part of this verse that just kills me, where Paul says, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peaceably with you. So in other words, if you have seen me do something, put that mm-hmm. into practice. So he's, he's living a great life.
1: Yeah, it's funny how he lived his best life in the worst of circumstances.
0: No kidding. Yeah, he no, was not. amazing.
1: Yeah, he was amazing. And, uh, you know, it's also a great story of redemption to me in, in so many ways, who he used to be and who mm. he became.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, powerful know, can, story.
1: Can that be any one of us? Does that mean we never give up on somebody? Because you say, you never know. Yeah. You never know who the next Saul is going to be. Yeah. That's going to be that person.
0: I remember a friend making a comment about Chuck Colson uh, 40 years later after he had been you know living for the Lord and yet, he was still skeptical of him—that he was still his old person, and that he will never change.
1: And I go, "No, I think he's changed." I well, in reading his book, uh, you know, you don't put stuff like that out there to dupe people, <laughs> right? Right. You know, yeah. Uh, what a great man! What a yeah. great man! What an, another amazing story, uh, you know, from the pits of despair. Yes. Yes. Not to be confused with the Princess Bride pits of despair. Those are different. <laughs>
0: I am. I am an event with him once in Tampa, Florida, and he was a very kind, graceful guy. He was really nice and really nice to me, which was nice. Uh, I, I like when people yeah. are nice to me.
1: Uh, you know, it's it. And and do you deserve it? <laughs> so do you.
0: <laughs> so do you.
1: Uh, I guess I. Well, no, you deserve it. You deserve it. Yeah.
0: Well, believe it or not, we're out of time.
1: Well, it's, uh, it's always fun reminiscing. I remember when we first met, it was in line at Tower Records. We were <laughs> camped out all night trying to get tickets to the Dexys Midnight Runners concert. <laughs> we were
2: right. only two people there.
0: <laughs> that and and uh, they on they a laugh, that's true. always it. We'll be right back. Patrick Albanese has been my guest. We'll take a short break and then Dr. John Woodward will be joining me in just a minute. show. Always glad to talk to Dr. John Woodward. He's the Director of Counseling and Training at uh, Grace Fellowship International. And since 1970, they have been helping disciples to live victoriously, disciple strategically, and counsel effectively. What's not to like about this organization and my guest, Dr. John Woodward. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me back, Bill. Good to be with you. You kidding me? I love your, miss- your mission, and I love what you do, and I love your, your heart and passion for the Lord. So I'm, we're the lucky ones today, John.
2: And it's certainly a, a mission that's more urgently needed than ever, isn't it, Bill?
0: Amen. I mean, even with what's going on in the world right now, I can imagine that some of the people coming, knocking on your door for discipleship and counseling have, are dealing with anxiety and, and fear and maybe even some panic attacks, which is very sad, but true.
2: And it's uh, something that's coming to us much more this year because of the coronavirus um, epidemic, the economic effects of that, and the unrest in our society. Um, But one of our privileges, Bill, is to offer hope that there are biblical solutions that are grace-oriented and really effective.
0: Those are the ones, John, I am most interested in hearing about, because those are the ones that are Mm -hmm. true and they give life and give it abundantly. So let's talk about one of those. Maybe there would be a a passage from Scripture you could share with us today and do a little bit of teaching. I'd love that.
2: Well, um, one of the themes related to helping people, Bill, is the issue of wisdom. Um, There's a passage in James that contrasts uh, the wisdom of a secular society trying to figure out what the problem is and how to get solutions with uh, biblical wisdom. And if I can just read that to our listeners, is from the book of James chapter three. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything are there. That sounds like a pretty negative scenario, doesn't it, Bill? Yeah, yeah, it does. It kind of sounds like uh, the news reports that we see too often. (laughs) No kidding. Um, People can be experts on sociology and uh, politics, but um, is there truth that can be applied to these situations to to actually bring about change? Um, The passage goes on to say, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield— full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace sounds like that's a solution that can really help us individually in our families and in our society
0: if society would be interested in accepting it and embracing it yes uh personally we can do something about that today which is exciting
2: it is indeed So when we talk about offering these solutions, Bill, we have people um, contacting us that are struggling with things like uh, chronic fear. Um, Sometimes they'll have a panic attack. They'll go to the hospital and uh, they assume they're having a heart attack or or some other thing that's primarily physical. And then the doctor does a series of tests and they say, we can't find any medical reason uh, for this. So it it must be due to, uh, to emotions. And our our counselees that call us are quite shocked that physical symptoms could be that severe and yet be generated by cumulative anxiety and stress. But that is indeed what's happening. Many of them have turned to other ways of trying to get therapy and are not satisfied um, that they haven't found the solutions that are really giving lasting change. And so then we get the privilege of opening the scriptures and and allowing um the Lord's wisdom uh, to shine in like like a beam of light shining through the darkness to give them hope and direction. And we get the privilege of walking with them and uh, letting God do the changing, and we get to facilitate and offer them support on the journey. That's
0: incredible. And we're also probably um, wise to not underestimate the important connection between mind and body.
2: That's That's so true, and especially when someone is having— these kind of physical symptoms racing heartbeat um uh, headache high blood pressure and and uh yes they're they they are real physical symptoms, they're not imagining them, but often they are generated by emotional and mental turmoil uh where the person's natural resources are being overwhelmed, and so that can um just build up to the point of having what we typically call a panic attack. And usually that's a tipping point bill for them to call and and actually ask for some intentional counseling process and we um invite them to explain to us what the context is of their life. We put that in perspective in terms of their upbringing and uh, and then show them that there are uh spiritual solutions that uh can help them meet these needs not just by helping them cope a little bit more effectively you know with a positive thinking or or some other uh, strategy, but actually to learn a whole new approach um, to living life and living the Christian life, which is living out of a their new identity, which can come through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. And John, I would imagine we, we all need to give ourselves a measure of grace, because a lot of the times this doesn't happen overnight, does it?
2: It is a process, mm-hmm. and uh, um, we have a number of folks that have been watching one of our friend's uh, testimonial videos on YouTube, and his name is Aaron Kim, K-I-M, has several thousand people watching his uh, testimonies. And um, as we had the privilege of walking with Aaron through this, it was several months before he had his breakthrough. He had been in a mental hospital, he had tried various forms of therapy. He's a, we call it a PK, right, a pastor's kid, a worship leader. So he's very devout, but also had um, suicidal Uh, depression and anxiety and insomnia, and people are seeing Aaron Kim's video and getting new hope. So as we walk with them, as you said, Bill, we need to give ourselves a measure of grace. It is a process. Um, We help people identify that um, it's wise to go below the symptoms to see that there are root issues. Often it has to do with rejection um, and uh, maybe sometimes abandonment or abuse or trauma in a person's life, and they've learned to kind of stuff that down. And try to cope with life and put on a brave face and do the best they can but then as um, the stress builds up in their life as maybe relationships collapse or they lose their job then their ability to cope uh, is no longer able to keep those things suppressed and then it, it becomes a crisis but we believe a crisis can also be an opportunity
0: when john i think of some of the the rhythms of life for people they've got a job that they enjoy going to maybe that has gone away Maybe their uh, place of worship they can't go to right now, obviously because they cannot. Uh, it's, they're not allowed to, so they're mm-hmm. missing contact. They're missing, you know, maybe a half a dozen hugs from people on a on, on a typical Sunday, where they're feeling that much more isolated and withdrawn. And, and you know, sometimes you just need arms around you, even if it's just a you know hug from a uh, a loved one at church.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, there's the spiritual resources that we emphasize, but then it's those spiritual resources through uh, loving friends, um, especially when we're talking about Christian fellowship, but certainly the value of social support, friendships. Um, We are members of one another, the Bible says, in the Christian family, and that should be demonstrated. So certainly the rhythms of life, uh, um, this time of isolation can often... Bring people a sense of loneliness and uh, depression sets in. Just today, Bill, a, a card came in the mail to me from a senior citizen in uh, Missouri, and she was discovering some of these truths about God's grace and what Jesus says in John chapter 15 that He is the true vine, and believers uh, are like branches on that vine, and there's an organic connection. So, just as the grapevine produces grapes through the branches, so God's Spirit, through the believer, can give us love and joy and peace and these other things. Uh, Can I read you a line from her card? Oh, please. She says, um, I'm thankful that her Heavenly Father is lifting those veils from my mind. She's talking about veils of, of, of ignorance, not knowing about how her past had affected her and how she learned to cope. He's lifting those veils from my mind, those old identity messages from my past, and assisting me to view from his lens, his word, who I really am in Christ. I am complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. There she's quoting from Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. But uh, that's a pattern, Bill, of seeing that when people discover a new dimension of uh, what it means to be identified with Christ and the cross and to, to yield to the Lord and to trust him to be their resource for living, that um, the anxiety um, shifts to peace, the depression shifts to joy, um, the discouragement um, shifts to hope, and we believe that um, offering people faith-based solutions is a real adventure and a great privilege.
0: This is probably kind of ties into this what you just read coming from this uh, person, but what about Christians that still really have anxiety issues and Look, at we're reading the Word, we're praying, yet we still have these emotions and this imbalance. What is the next mm-hmm. step we should be taking?
2: Well, I think um, during my years as a pastor, what I noticed that typically what we would do uh, to try to help someone like a listener who may feel exactly as you just described, we can point them to verses like Philippians 4, uh, verses 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And in some cases, Bill, that's enough to give someone that lift, that encouragement. But sometimes there there is a deeper-rooted issue. Here at Grace Fellowship, we call it the self-life, which is another way to define flesh. The Bible says we have this inner struggle where the flesh and the spirit of God in us are kind of in conflict. And sometimes we think that that's just uh, real obvious sin problems, but often that even can be a self-righteous kind of uh, condition. Remember in Philippians chapter three, Paul lists his credentials where he had all kinds of um, commitment to please God and to be very religious. But then he says in Philippians three, that I, I counted all those things to be, to be actually rubbish. In other words, he let go of depending on his self-righteousness. Then he says that I may be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So, Bill, we want to help someone have a deeper, what Chuck Swindoll used to call a grace awakening, to see that, that we're not only forgiven when we receive Jesus as our Savior, but we're given a gift of acceptance, a gift of righteousness, And when that is more fully understood, which is taught clearly in in Paul's letters in the New Testament, he goes on to say in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, know the Lord Jesus, know God, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection. And that power is power to overcome anxiety and panic attacks and depression. But also, he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. So this counseling model is not saying that, you know, when we comply with these conditions that all of our problems disappear and our circumstances instantly become ideal. Uh, In the New Testament, we have a very realistic picture, don't we? Where our Lord says, in this world, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.
0: John, I understand why you are such a great counselor. You've got this incredibly calming spirit and yet you just give so much beautiful scripture, which is what brings people life and brings it uh, abundantly. So. Let me take a short break. Dr. John Woodward is my guest. Uh, he's the director of counseling and training at Grace Fellowship International. You can go to gracefellowshipinternational.com to learn more about John. And we'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have Dr. John Woodward as my guest. He is over at Grace Fellowship International. He's the director of counseling and training, and uh, he knows his stuff. And John, I was wondering if we could maybe look at a uh, uh, passage from Scripture. Uh, I think it's in First Chronicles about the children of Issachar.
2: Yes, it's in that well-worn passage in our Bible, Bill, that our Bible <laughs> just flops open to First Chronicles. Always does. 12. Does mine, anyway. <laughs> Well, First Chronicles chapter 12. Uh, you and I were talking earlier about verse 32. The children of Issachar, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, this this uh, amazing quote. Um, they had understanding of the times, and they knew what Israel ought to do. So the two statements here that grab our attention. One is they had understanding of the times, and Bill, the times we're living in are so tumultuous. They their um, worldviews are at war, trying to figure out what the problem is, what the solution is. You know, is the solution violence? Is it politics? Mm-hmm. Is it is it uh, some social program? Um, and to know what Israel ought to do, what are the solutions? Uh, we might talk about fatherlessness, for example. We just had Father's Day a while back, and we can talk about um, the importance of having healthy, um, loving homes and um, but then what do we do about that if fatherlessness is a problem? Well, we believe that it's only as the human heart changes and people experience healing and freedom and love that they can then have healthy relationships, which then in turn can give better marriages, which then can give more um, stable homes where children can be loved and protected and discipled. And then society has that benefit of that salt and light uh, making this world a better place. So as biblical counselors, we seek to serve those who come to us, whether it's for marriage counseling or individual counseling, to help people tap in to understand, you know, what the root issues are, and then how to turn to God's wisdom to find those solutions.
0: So there's such great uh, counsel. I mean, God's God's Word is has everything we need. Um, sometimes people will need Medication as well, because the brain is a interesting organ, and sometimes it gets out of balance. Just like a pancreas isn't producing insulin, the brain may not be producing a certain chemical that you need. So I suppose it's a big comprehensive program all the time, isn't it?
2: Right, and we never uh, judge people if they're if they're using a different type of therapy or drawing medication. That's between them and the Lord and their doctor. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, we emphasize the physical. Uh, health, um, psychological health you know based on the soul spiritual health which I believe is unique to the human being we're made in God's image we have a conscience we have the potential of communion with God through the gospel um, we have intuition that that inner awareness that there must be a meaning to life right Bill there must be significance there's a need for worth and 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 value and so we can uh, address those spiritual needs and then of course in a relationship, Interrelational needs as well, but rather than just dealing with one aspect, we want to be holistic, and then we also want to go from there, from the diagnosis to the remedy, which we believe needs to be biblical and Christ-centered and grace-oriented.
0: Mm-hmm. I love. I love. We started off talking about the book James, and I, I love again James one five. If any of you lacks wisdom, and of course God wants to give it liberally and without reproach. What? How do you understand that? If someone's listening, going, okay, God's going to give me all the wisdom I need. What should I expect?
2: Well, I think it helps to define wisdom a little bit. Um, uh, The book of Proverbs is a great resource for wisdom, isn't it, Bill? I love it. It happens to be 31 chapters, and usually there are 31 days in the month. So a listener may want to do a project of reading one-chapter Proverbs for every day of the month. Um, But uh, wisdom is, we might say it this way, Wisdom is applying truth to life. How does truth apply to life? Now, again, that's countercultural, isn't it, Bill? Because many people say there is no absolute truth. Well, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is what God has revealed about who he is, the meaning of life, how to know him, you know, what is, what is true and meaningful. But then the wisdom of how does that relate to me? So as you quoted from James chapter 1, verse 5, as we pray for wisdom, God will help us understand uh, the scriptures. He will help us to take unchanging principles and apply them to our individual lives. So when we counsel people, Bill, we don't give them specific advice about decisions that they need to make because that's their responsibility. But we can offer them support, empathy, biblical principles, which are timeless. They were true. Uh, thousands of years ago, they're just as cutting edge and relevant today, aren't they?
0: They are, but you would have to be someone whose heart is turned uh, to Scripture that the Holy Spirit has re- revealed to them the truth of God's Word. There was a survey recently, John, that said 93% of all people believe a God exists, but only 73% believe in absolute truth. So I think the narrative out there is. Mm. Uh, well, you can maybe go through the buffet line of the Bible and decide what you want and what you don't want.
2: That is uh, that is the case in terms of our culture. Mm-hmm. But I think that's another reason why there's this ex- existential despair. People think, well, there there is no truth. How can I get wisdom? How can I find out the meaning of life if what's true for you is different than what's true for me? So the traditional definition of truth, of being that which corresponds to reality, really resonates with what the Bible teaches when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge the Lord, and he will what? He will direct your paths, mm-hmm. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Many of us are dealing with decisions we're facing during these um, uncertain days we're living in. To what extent should we socially distance and wear masks? And you know, what is the treatment for coronavirus? What should I do about working from home? All these require wisdom, don't they, in terms of specific decisions. So we believe that um, discipleship and counseling should give people encouragement and hope, but also point them to these timeless biblical solutions, such as for guidance.
0: Right. John, when I think of people wanting to know Christ more, or they want the supremacy of Christ in their life, I always think that that comes at a cost where you have to be willing to not only fall in love with Jesus, but spend a lot of time in his word and make sacrifices to maybe forego some activities so you can be more involved in things of the Lord. And there are some Mm -hmm. people that, you know, I've talked to that would like to kind of continue to window shop and yet expect somehow this big amount of intimacy with Christ and wisdom. And I I always think, well, you have to be putting in your your time Mm -hmm. with the Lord too.
2: Exactly, and Proverbs uh, uses kind of a poetic description of of uh, wisdom. You know, as a a woman offering hospitality, she says, "I prepare my banquet. Come, you know, and partake of this banquet." So you're right, Bill. It takes time. It takes uh, sincerity. It takes a prayerful heart to say, uh, "I want to know the God who created the universe. I want to have a personal relationship with Him. I want to to see." how truth applies to my life. But that involves um, checking out the Bible for ourselves. You know, um, we're told from those who do social research that, that most people have a keen interest in spiritual things, but often they've been turned off to organize religion, maybe due to um, a negative experience, because <laughs> whether people are go to church or don't go to church, we all have our blind spots and, and areas of a failure, but the only one who never disappoints us is God himself, and Jesus personally. So we would encourage them that they should be aware of their spiritual needs for forgiveness, for hope, um, for uh, deliverance from anxiety, and then to go to the Bible directly with a prayerful heart. And Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, a famous invitation, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Sounds like a good offer, doesn't it, Bill? It
0: sounds fantastic, John. Maybe you would just, with a couple of minutes we have left, speak to the the person listening right now that feels that they have trouble controlling their lives. They want to be in control, and they don't feel like they are. And they're frustrated and wondering, uh, how can I be alleviated from this anxiety of feeling like I need to be in control?
2: Well, you you put your thumb right in the pulse of uh, what we need to recognize, Bill, and that is when we try to be in control, that's what really ramps up the anxiety because we can't control what happens with coronavirus. We can't control politics or uh, other aspects of the economy So the Bible gives us a radical invitation to be still and know that He is God. Um, And so that means we need to humble ourselves and realize that we cannot be in control. We need to submit to God's leadership and then um, turn that anxiety into prayer and let Him um, be the one to be our good shepherd. Probably the best known psalm is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, You could paraphrase that, I have everything that I need. So we would say there needs to be a relinquishment of control to God's leadership, but that also implies personal faith in the gospel and someone who sees that this is not just a religion, but it's a personal relationship.
0: So maybe you would just uh, take the remaining minute we have left and just close in prayer with us.
2: Well, I want to thank um, each one who has been listening and considering uh, these principles, and let's ask God for that wisdom we've been talking about. God, we just pause now as we conclude this program Thanking you that we have the religious liberty to talk about spiritual values. Lord, for anyone who's listening, who's struggling with anxiety and fears, we ask that they would revere you. And we ask that you would give them the wisdom to exchange their anxiety for your peace through prayer. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, the Prince of Peace. And we ask, Lord, for your blessing on this program and those who are listening in your name.
0: Amen. Amen. Dr. John Woodward has been my guest. He's the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. You can head over to gracefellowshipinternational.com. John, have a wonderful rest of the day. Blessings to you and your family.
2: Thanks so much, Bill.
0: Yep. We'll take a short break, and we will be right back with Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.